0: Amen. tools of the trade what is the trade in a documentary series on PBS called First Civilizations there was an episode on international trade that intrigued me 4,000 year old wall paintings in Oman included images of cattle from India disclosing a trade relationship across the Indian Ocean between these ancient civilizations. They were geographically quite far apart. It turns out Oman is rich in copper, and that was one of the earliest trade commodities. And what archaeologists have discovered is that trade around the world served as fuel for the progress of civilization. As we've already demonstrated with our kids' view, as kids growing up, we used to trade things, cards, trinkets, marbles, food. It's a great activity for helping to learn the value of things and understand what you personally value. I was at Dodger Stadium last summer, and there was a row of boys in front of us feverishly trading baseball cards. And it was so entertaining, listening to their bargaining. Some cards were easy to let go of, while others required attempts to convince each other to give up that most prized player. So trading, that's one way we think about the word trade. Another way the word trade is used is defining a skill-based service, such as the plumbing trade, the mechanics trade, the tailor's trade, etc., the phrase tools of the trade generally refers to specific tools related to a specific trade. So if you were to open a plumber's toolbox, it would look different from an auto mechanic's toolbox. And both would look different from a tailor's toolkit. There might be a couple of tools in common in all of those, but basically they are unique enough that you could identify the trade from the tools. So what I'm doing in this series, I'm specifically playing on the words of the phrase, tools of the trade, to come at two important concepts. First, we have traded our old life for new life in Christ. And in doing that, we have entered into a new trade No matter what you actually do for a living, we're all in the trade of being a Christian and the ministry of reconciliation. Secondly, the Christian's toolbox is unique, and we both need to and get to learn and grow in our use of these tools. We used to sing a song in the late 90s, yes, friends, it was that long ago, that said, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. The New Testament describes our life in Christ frequently as, you used to be this, or you used to do this, and now you are this, or now you do this. We traded a mortal life of brokenness and pain for an eternal life of joy, peace, and power. The early followers of Jesus proclaim simply and powerfully the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as proof that salvation has come. Their proclamation is called the Kerygma. The Kerygma has as its ultimate goal not a sophisticated theology, but a transformed life. As I've been saying, this is our theme for 2018, is transformation, a transformed life. It is the declaration that in Christ, the new order of eternal life has already entered into time and history. So, here are some of the things we trade when we accept Jesus as Lord. Unbelief for faith. Sin for faith for righteousness, death for life, evil for goodness, frustration for contentment, anxiety for peace, jealousy for joy, immorality for integrity, racism for humility, addiction for freedom, despair for hope, apathy for love, anger for wisdom, darkness for light, and you can fill in the blank if I miss something that you traded. What we are going to focus on in the coming weeks are tools that help us complete the trade. As strongly as I believe that all those things I just listed are possible in relationship with Jesus, the truth is that I don't always live them out. The promise of new life is immediate. The process of transformation is ongoing. Jesus said we must be born again, become a new creation, new, something not previously known. Creation, something not self-manufactured, but sourced by the creator. We can be a new creation. We believe that happens at the moment we accept Jesus. We become new, we are born again, but that new life must be nurtured and given opportunity to develop Grow and mature. I was listening to a podcast this week, Chasing Justice, and I heard this quote We go to church, we go home, we're involved in church activities. There's kind of this institutionalized religion here, but there isn't really a connection with the needs of people in certain areas. Continuing the quote, one of the sectors of justice here at the Justice Conference relates to immigration and refugees, and what I have found is that even in my life and the people around me, there's a disconnect, end quote. They were specifically addressing the disconnect in terms of the church speaking up and taking action on issues of justice, but I think the disconnect is quite prevalent in general, Transformation is about what's happening 24-7, not just the moments that we are here together or gathered in home group, participating in church life. So how do we make the connections for transformation? What are the tools? I'd like to use the tool metaphor to talk about some Christian practices Other descriptors could be disciplines or habits. As we access the tools, learn how to use them, become more skilled with them, we will experience transformation, connecting what we know and believe with how we live, integrating the word of God beyond our head knowledge into who we are. The transforming life is one who is growing and bearing fruit. So the tool isn't the fruit or the end product. The tool does not perform the transformation. The tool is the practice or discipline that makes space for God to work within us and for that spiritual fruit to grow. I'm quoting from Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. From its beginning, the church linked the desire for more of God to intentional practices, relationships, and experiences that gave people space in their lives to keep company with Jesus. These intentional practices, relationships, and experiences we know as spiritual disciplines. The basic rhythm of disciplines or rule for the first believers is found in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching that's a practice and to the fellowship relationships and to the breaking of bread and experience and to prayer another practice. The practice in and of itself is not transformative. It is a tool. And if we use the tool with the proper motivation, we make space for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, open ourselves to worship with our bodies, all its flaws, weaknesses, and limits, becoming the living sacrifice that Paul describes in Romans 12, 1, and experience the transformation he describes in Romans twelve two. So today, I'm going to focus on two practices or tools and the fruit that can be born from these. And then each week, we'll be talking about another couple. But the first is one that we've already talked about, and it's because it's just too obvious. I can't leave it out. It's engaging in transforming community. That's what that whole last series dealt with, choosing to walk the path together appreciating the sense of place, committing to honor God's presence and add our presence, and then proclaiming the good news. I will continue to emphasize that this is what we are about, to be a transforming community. We are more than an institutional religion with church activities. And any time that that's what it's become for you, that's, it's missing it. Okay, we are to be a transforming community. As we worship together, break bread together, pray together, study God's word together, meet in home groups together, reach out to the community together, go on mission trips together, everything we do together is intended to allow for transformation bearing fruit, allowing the kingship of Jesus to reign in our lives and impact the lives we touch. The fruit that comes into my life as an individual when I engage in transforming community is amazing. It helps me move from self-absorption to other-centeredness, to grow in love for others, and to have a relational definition of identity. The fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians grows in community, especially love, patience, gentleness, kindness, peace. It is only through engaging in community that we can practice the biblical one another's. Understanding that our church will be a transforming community is key or else we'll drift into that disconnect mode. Our transformation in Christ is also for the sake of others who do not yet know him. Our current, vibrant, alive relationship with Jesus is what gives us power and position for mission. As community, moving in all directions and reaching out to all people. So practice number one, you're doing it right now. You're here, you're engaging with transforming community. And that's a part, that's a a tool for transformation. The second one I want to talk about today is confession. Confession is a biblical practice that is vital to keeping our relationship with Jesus fresh and to continue the process of transformation. Transformation. This is a definition of confession from Adele Carhun. Self-examination is a process whereby the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me. This is not the same thing as a neurotic, shame-inducing inventory. Instead, it is a way of opening myself to God within the safety of divine love so I can authentically seek transformation. Confession embraces Christ's gift of forgiveness and restoration while setting us on the path to renewal and change. My favorite scripture about confession is 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What is sin? I like how Pastor Craig has always defined it. Sin is missing the mark. What is the mark? Our own conscience often lets us know we've missed the mark. Sometimes we have to learn through study and experience what the mark is what is right, what is wrong. And we have the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth and convicting us, helping us to know when we've missed the mark. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. James wrote in chapter 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So how do we effectively use this tool called Confession? I love the point Ms. Calhoun makes that we are in the safety of divine love. The first step is to posture yourself as loved. Not proud, not arrogant, not self-righteous, but also not cowering, not shamed, not doubtful of God's love. If it helps, I suggest beginning your prayer with thanking God for loving you. Ask him to help you see yourself as he sees you. Then, if there's something obvious to you that needs confessing, speak it out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Then, allow the Holy Spirit to show you areas that perhaps you haven't been attuned to. But because you are inviting him to search your heart and willing to confess what he reveals, new understanding of yourself is gained. Thank him for loving you at that depth. Confess and receive forgiveness. How do confession and repentance work together? Repent means to turn around, change direction. When we are convicted of a sin, we confess it to receive forgiveness, and we repent and ask for strength to not do it again. Another descriptor for sin is that which breaks relationship. When we are truly sorry for our sins, we're sad that we have broken our relationship with God and with others. We are drawn to repentance. We don't want to keep doing those things that are missing the mark, that are breaking the relationships. Here's the deal. The power of confession and repentance is that over time, we are in fact transformed. Temptations that once were what we felt irresistible lose their power over us. We grow and mature in the Lord through confession and repentance. However, if we fail to confess and repent or deceive ourselves into thinking we have no need for confession we will grow weaker spiritually and are very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So part of Craig's testimony, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to use you for a minute, but he told me that when he first got saved, and I honestly don't even remember which temptation he was dealing with, okay? So I don't know what it was, but he had to confess it multiple times a day whatever it was, and ask for forgiveness. And then it, whatever it was would come back and come back. But that is not true today. It didn't stay that way, and that's what I'm trying to say. If you submit yourself to using this tool, it brings transformation. As we confess, he forgives and cleanses us from unrighteousness, And over time, we mature. And those particular temptations lose their grip on us, and we we grow up. But the other side of that that I want to say is those of you that are mature in the Lord, have been serving the Lord a long time, don't check out here. We all have need to keep this tool functioning, and being a part of our regular rhythm with the Lord. We have to be open to allow the Holy Spirit to peel away layers, show us new things to confess. It is not about shame-inducing. It is about divine love allowing us to be set free from things we didn't even realize We're still there. A next level of confession is what James wrote. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you will be healed. In a safe and loving community, there are times when you need someone's support and agreement in confession. The light that is shined on a dark place through sharing and prayer brings healing. Note, this is not a thing to enter lightly. It is not a cataloging of sins for the sake of listing them. It's focused on prayer, a request for someone else to join you in trusting God for overcoming a particular weakness or fault. And then a third level of confession is something that I experienced last summer. It is making confession on behalf of a group of people. One scriptural example of this is Nehemiah. And this is from uh, the first chapter of Nehemiah. After he had learned of the desolation in Jerusalem, he prayed, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Nehemiah is confessing for sins committed since the time of Moses up to the exile. He didn't personally commit all those sins. But he is earnestly praying to the God of unfailing love, confessing a nation's sins. So here was my experience. Last summer, during the Everything Change prayer tour, we were in Hampton, Virginia, gathered under the emancipation tree, praying in a circle. I felt very strongly compelled to pray a prayer of confession and repentance for a majority culture, of which I am a member, that is not empathetic to the concerns and abuses taking place to people of color in our nation. My particular burden was not just the actual abuses, but our responses to them. The reality that my African-American friends, sisters in the Lord, must have conversations around their dinner table, teaching their sons, who happen to be star athletes and honor roll students, teaching them how to be careful when in certain neighborhoods or in any scenario where a police encounter could happen or in a mall if they notice a security guard tracking them, not because they are doing anything, but because they are black. My confession was that we as white Christians have not tuned into what our brothers and sisters are living with. It was a short but deep prayer. Later that day, one of my African American friends came to me. She told me that she basically grew up in a white neighborhood and has lived in what we would call white settings all her life. But she had never, she told me, never experienced a white person admitting their privilege as I had done in that prayer and reaching out to understand the divide caused by race in our country. The power of Nehemiah's confession is that God graced him with favor and resources to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in stunning fashion. When we become aware of sin in our history, whether committed by us or not, a first step we can take is to confess it as sin. Be open to the Holy Spirit. He will convict of sin, but he does not condemn us. This is not about being shamed, but about being awakened. Sometimes there will be accompanying action required, but the confession, repentance, and cleansing power of God is the starting place. So confession is a tool. If it is one that you haven't handled much, it may feel awkward at first. But it is an important tool to use in the trade. We confess our sins. He makes us righteous. We invite the Holy Spirit to search us. He brings light to darkness and awakens us to things previously hidden. we're going to receive communion together. And in the teaching on communion in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we should examine ourselves. So as Rachel's coming, what I'd like to do today is I'm going to stand here. I'm going to open the elements and invite you to come and receive your elements. You may then go back to your seat or stay here at the altar, but we are going to give space for you to practice this tool of confession. It's, it's instructed that we should examine ourselves before we receive the Lord's Supper. Posture yourself as loved. You're not coming before the Lord shameful. You are coming before the Lord knowing he loves you and does not want you to remain in bondage to any sin. If you have something that he's already convicted you of, start there. If not, allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light and just as something is brought into the light, Confess it before him. All right,
1: and I hear the Saviour say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all sin had left a crimson stain Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as